0: If you've been with us the last number of weeks, you'll know that we've just started a new series of teaching from the book of Genesis, particularly in the life of Abram. And in the first few episodes, we met a man who wants to live by faith, has proved faithless, but has been restored as he's experienced God's amazing grace. Whenever you're a preacher, it's always encouraging when somebody gets in touch to say how God has spoken to them through the word as we've been uh, teaching it here in church. Here's a message I received this Sunday. Regarding Sunday morning, thank you for the word that you gave. I'm truly amazed that in spite of my many failures and mistakes, that the Lord continues to be at work in my life. If I was the Lord. I would have put me to one side as a reject by now. But his grace is always at work in me and for me. Beautiful, endless grace. Isn't that just great? God showed grace to Abram. And he shows grace to us. Why does he do that? I probably said it in passing last week. God shows us grace because he loves us. Isn't that it? This morning, rather than continuing our series of studies in the life of Abram, we're going to pause and meditate on the love of God. How deep the Father's love for us! How vast. Beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. We used those words a moment ago as we sang of the love of God. Just before that, we read of the love of God in Paul's words in Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us, In a few moments after I've spoken, we're going to, to gather around this table and we're going to eat bread that reminds us of the body of Christ broken for us. We're going to drink wine that reminds us of his blood shed for our forgiveness. And as we do so, we'll eat and we'll drink and we'll feed on the love of God. We've sung of God's love. We've read of God's love and His Word. We're going to feed on these symbols of God's love. Before we do, let's reflect for a moment on the deep love of God. As soon as I begin to talk about the love of God, I'm worried about sliding into cliché because I'm worried about speaking of the most beautiful thing in all the world in language that doesn't do it justice. Above all, I'm worried about you leaving here this morning not knowing of the depth of God's love and not knowing how much God loves you. You see, actually, even though there's talk of love, it's natural for us to doubt declarations of love. It's so much easier to say, I love you, than to truly, sacrificially love another person. Think of the number of times a person has said, I love you, while they're saying it at the same time to someone else. How often have we frail human beings declared our undying love Only to find that it soon cools or that it's transferred to another person. We live in a world where love is often fickle or fleeting, so it's natural for us to doubt declarations of love. Why should we trust a declaration of love even from God? Paul helps us with this question in the passage we read. I hope you have it open before you. Romans chapter 5. In chapter 4, he's reminded the readers that Abram is justified, was justified by faith. In chapter 5, he tells us, verse 1, that those who, like Abram, have put their faith in the living God have been justified by faith, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the closing verses of our passage where Paul spells out how a perfect, sinless God can acquit guilty, sinful people. Look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God showed his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're asking the question, why should I trust a declaration of love, even from God? Here in verse 8, Paul gives us the answer. God didn't just declare his love, he demonstrates it. The Greek in verse 8 is very, very strong. In another version of the Bible, it's translated like this. God shows and clearly proves his love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, when we gather around this table to remember the cross of Jesus Christ, the love of God towers over us. We've come this morning to the place where God's love is proved once and for all do you doubt the love of God not not here you won't not at the cross do you doubt that he loves you come come to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ I want to spend the rest of our time reflecting on the depth of this love In the final analysis, the essence of love is is giving something to another person, giving ourselves for them. And the depth of our love is measured by two things. It's measured on the one hand by the, the cost of the gift that the lover gives, and on the other hand, by the worthiness or unworthiness of the one who receives the gift the more the gift costs the giver and the less the recipient deserves it, the greater the love. When we come to the cross of Jesus Christ and when we measure it by these standards, we see that God's love for us in Jesus is entirely without rival. When he sent his son to die for sinners, God was giving everything. For those who deserve nothing, only his judgment. Let's think first for a moment about the cost of the gift. The cost's clear. We see it clearly in this passage, possibly even more clearly in a verse like John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So God's given a gift. What did he give? He gave his son, one of his many sons? No, his one and only son. Is there anything more dear to a parent than their child? Is there anything more dear to a father than his only son? Can you imagine what is going on in the heart of God when he gives us his son? All draws further attention to the scale of God's gift when he uses the name Christ here. Have a look, verse 8. Christ isn't Jesus' name, it's a title, a title based on the Greek Christos, meaning the anointed one, uh, a translation of the Jewish word Messiah. So it's a term of great, great dignity. It's Paul's way of reminding us that the The son who is given is also the Messiah, the King of Israel, the King of all kings. Every Christmas time, we read in our lessons and carols to remind ourselves of the greatness of this, this baby who is being born. For to us a child is given, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So the person whom God has given to save sinners, to save me and to save you, is his own dearly loved divine son. And he's the king. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of all kings. Just a few weeks ago, as we reflected on the parable of the vineyard in Luke's gospel, we remembered how God sent many other people into the world. Over the years, he'd sent many prophets. Scriptures tell us often of him sending a messenger, an angelos, an angel into this world. But now, when it comes to the most important task of all, to save sinful people, it's not a prophet or an angel. Now, to demonstrate his own love for us, He sends his one and only son. God gives us his son. God gives us him his very self. The unimaginable cost of the gift shows the depth of the love. His love for me and for you. As we continue to think about the cost of God's gift, think with me now about the nature of the death of Jesus Christ. You've read the biblical accounts of the crucifixion. Depending on what age you are, you might have seen different visual accounts as people have made movies about the the death of Jesus. I remember seeing Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ you'll know the horrific nature of the death that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place. When we think of Christ's suffering, the scale of the sacrifice increases again. God doesn't just give his son. He he gives his son over those who will delight in, in stripping him in mocking him, in whipping him, and of tearing him apart limb from limb. God's only son, king of the world, abused and executed by men. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves me because he loves you. Paul wants us to be clear about why Jesus was given and why Jesus had to come and die. It was while we were still sinners, Paul said, that Christ died for us. Though the sins are ours, the death was his. He died as a sin offering. He took our place and paid the penalty our sins deserved. Can we trust a declaration of love, even from God? Just look at the depth of his love, demonstrated in the price he paid, sending his son, the Messiah, to the cross. I said a moment ago that the depth of any sacrificial love is measured by two things. It's measured in on the one hand by the cost of the gift. The more the, the, the gift costs the giver, the greater the love. We've just seen the price God paid for our redemption. But the depth of a sacrificial love depends also on the worth or the unworthiness of the recipient, those, the ones who receive the gift. The less the recipient deserves the gift, the greater the grace and the love. Friends, the measure of God's love for us is all the greater when we remember how little, just how little we deserve his kindness. Paul sums it up so well in this passage. He says, verse seven, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die he's making the point that on very rare occasions human beings have managed great acts of sacrifice or others. sometimes people will give themselves willingly for someone else who is good or, or warm or generous or appealing someone for whom your heart would be moved towards them because there's something redemptive, something lovely in them. But that's not our God. Thank God he's not in the business of giving himself only for the attractive and for the lovely and for his friends. No, his love works on an entirely different level. He dies for those who despise him And who reject him. Those who are driving the nails through his wrists. And pressing the thorns into his skull. He prays over them. Forgive them father. They know not what they're doing. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We're ungodly, Paul says, verse 6. We're God's enemies, he says, verse 10. This is the measure of God's grace and his love for us. God gives his own dear son, not for his friends, but for his enemies. He loves us, While we hate him, we deserve nothing from God but but his punishment. And instead of punishment, he gives us the life of his son. Can we trust a declaration of love even from God? Just look at the price he paid sending his son to the cross. And look again at how little we deserved his gift. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast, beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. God's love is overwhelming. He gives himself to the horrors of a sin-bearing death on a Roman cross. He does it for his enemies. For me. And for you. Do you still doubt the love of God? Not not here. Not at the cross. Do you still doubt his love for you? Stay there for a while at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're going to take bread and take wine to keep us focused on the cross. Before we share communion together, we're going to sing Samuel Crossman's beautiful old hymn. He captures for us the twin realities of God's great gift and our unworthiness. In the opening verse, he speaks of God's love in these terms. My song is love unknown. My Savior's love for me. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. We're loveless. We are unlovely, but we're loved, so deeply loved. Stand with me and we'll sing.